0: tennis's number two packed up her
1: racket. Naomi Osaka has withdrawn from the French Open. At the end of May, the highest paid female athlete in the world decided to leave one of the biggest tennis tournaments, the French Open.
0: And this comes after she was fined $15,000 for skipping a news conference after her
1: first match. Tennis superstar Naomi Osaka said in a statement on social media that she's battling depression. And because of the controversy surrounding her decision to skip press conferences, she was leaving the French tournament. She said she often wears headphones, which help dull my social anxiety. I'm not a natural public speaker, she wrote. Her withdrawal from the tournament created a media frenzy. While some criticized her, others supported her, like fellow tennis star Serena Williams. I feel for Naomi. I feel like... uh, I wish I could give her a hug because I know what it's like. And with Wimbledon just days away, Naomi has started a conversation about athletes and mental health that for many is long overdue.
0: I'm Malika
1: Bilal, and this is The Take. Way to talk about tennis's relationship with the press than to hear from people who cover the sport and play it. So we call journalist Caitlin Thompson. I'm the publisher and co founder of Racket, which is a
2: tennis lifestyle media company,
1: and a former world number one champion in doubles.
0: I'm Renee Stubbs, former pro tennis player for over 22 years. I'm also a commentator on ESPN, and I'm also currently a coach on the WTA.
1: Together, they host the Racket Magazine podcast. So we wanted to have a conversation between podcasters. Caitlin, I'll go to you first. Can you describe the atmosphere of a press conference during one of these tennis tournaments? What
2: the press conference looks like is largely a room, kind of siphoned off from the main press center, largely filled with people who are print and digital journalists first. And in a lot of cases, it's a sort of grandfathered-in system. People tend to prioritize legacy publications, and because of that, the kind of journalists that you get in these press conferences are at times very good, very keen, follow the sport very closely and have a personal rapport with a lot of the players. But you also get some folks who've been there for a very long time and haven't really kept touch with the way the world has changed, and in some cases are not. Full time tennis journalists. They're moonlighting. And so the tennis press conference specifically is really where you can get some amazing questions, but it's also a time where you can get some very outrageous questions.
1: And we've seen a lot of both. Do you have any examples of outrageous questions or the types of questions that might wrinkle players? Yeah, absolutely. There was one that was uh,
2: posed last week. I'm not even sure it was a question to a young woman of color, Coco Goff. And one of the sort of statements posed at her in one of these press conferences was asking her to comment on the Williams sisters because maybe they were similar because they were both black, both American and both talented. And again, not a question. Coco handled it very well. That's not even the most outrageous misogynist or racist thing that we've heard in these rooms. Women in particular come in for some serious misogyny among this body of mostly men mostly old, mostly white journalists, but it was one that was that cropped up during this Naomi Osaka controversy. And so it was a very easy example to point to the kind of thing that if the credentialing system were a little bit stricter, if the filter were a little bit more catered toward creating a more vibrant and relevant conversation outside the tennis confines, then the people who found themselves doing the questioning inside the tennis confines, I think would be a little bit better.
1: Mm -hmm. And Caitlin, as you're talking, Renee is smiling with recognition because Renee knows. Renee, for you, the experience is a little different. You've been on both sides of these press rooms as a player and now as a sports commentator. So what do you remember of those days and what is it like now? How do you how would you describe that?
0: Yeah, I have definitely lived both. Obviously, I cannot even touch the fact of someone like Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams and Rafa, Novak, and these types of players that have to do press every single day. I would only go into press every now and again. But I do remember being asked to go into press at certain times after a loss. And it's usually because they want to sensationalize what you've done that day. And you as a player, the last thing you want to do is talk about anything that has to do with your loss. It's a really depressing time for a player because you question yourself, you question everything about yourself. When you go into those rooms, you get the established reporters that are in there that really do want to contextualize the story they want to write about the match. And that's what we want from good journalists. The problem is you have people in those rooms. that Their agenda is nothing about making the sport better, making the players match seem a little bit more understood. It's all about how can I get a gotcha question answered by the person I want it answered by and maybe stir up a little bit of controversy. That's all they care about. You get those random people asking you those questions and you're like, where did this guy come from? He's usually guys. But there are some women that ask some pretty terrible
1: questions as well. And how many are former players like you?
0: None. I would say there's not one former player. The only time you would ever get a former player writing anything about anything is maybe doing a a guest appearance in a magazine like Racket Magazine. These are print journalists. The Daily Mail or in Australia, the Daily Telegraph or the Herald Sun. They're usually following rugby league or AFL or cricket. And then all of a sudden they're like, hey, dude, we need someone to go and write about the tennis. And they're like, okay, that's me. And they go into those rooms with the, how can I make my story even remotely interesting? And then the headline is always something absolutely either ridiculous, not true, or degrading the player. And it drives me crazy, especially in Australia. And I think Australia and England are probably two of the worst at it.
1: So not all athletes enjoy these press moments for many of the reasons that both of you just laid out. I think the most famous example, perhaps, would be NFL player Marshawn Lynch, who during the 2015 Super Bowl Media Day responded to 25 different questions with the phrase,
2: I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm here so I won't get fined. I'm just here so I won't get fined.
1: And if you've been on the internet, you have seen this meme, you've seen this circulating everywhere. It's because he was reluctant to speak to the media and his work stoppage, doing what he had to do, but being defiant in the way he had to be defiant. This is what it looked like. Now, Naomi started very young. She's 23. And many of these athletes started playing when they were just kids. Naomi is also Black. She's also an Asian woman, half Black, half Asian. So there are a lot of factors that play into this. After her decision to drop from the French Open, many journalists came after her because they said this is part of your obligation. This is what you should do. Go to those press conferences. And then on the other side, you had people who said the tournament should have been more understanding. They should have seen that she was struggling. What do you both make of it?
2: I think both of us came down, you know, essentially both trying to be in sort of sympathy or empathy with the tournaments, these are folks who are tasked with providing an entertaining package. And, and specifically for the broadcast holder rights, that's part of the access that they pay for. And that is seen as part of the product. And so at a time when tennis has found itself, especially after the pandemic, not selling as many tickets, I, I am empathetic to the fact that they need to figure out how to amplify the game and using the game's biggest names is very tried and true way to do that. But I also think for myself, we started Racket and why we really felt very strongly about adding a new voice to the press mix is because the press wasn't doing a good enough job. As somebody who's sat outside the tennis world and really been frustrated at times with how slow to change it is, how pearl-clutching it can be, how defensive it is. And so from my viewpoint, let's take this girl at her word, let's take it at face value and let's really look at some of the institutions. The fine is set up to penalize people who don't want to do it, let her pay it, and then sit down with her and figure out how to make some of this stuff better.
0: Yeah, I have to tell you, I've ruminated over this for days about how how this looked, how it went down. I literally see it from every single angle. I see it from the player's perspective. A lot of players would see this as, oh, this is her way of getting out of something that is very hard for everybody to do. Nobody wants to go into press. Nobody wants to spend an hour and a half of their time. But everybody knows that's part of the obligation. It is very important, as Caitlin's uh, pointed out, TV is making money off the players, but the players are making the money because of those television rights and because of the sponsorship that comes along with putting a tennis event on these networks, particularly ESPN. So when a player doesn't want to do press, I think there needs to be a better job. Maybe in this circumstance say, would you mind doing the TV? I think they could have done a better job of managing this. There's no doubt about it. Naomi is the first one I think that will admit She probably didn't handle this well herself. She probably made a very big mistake putting that statement out prior to the tournament because that did not give the tours and the tournament any time or any grace to say, how can we help you?
1: And just to elaborate, it was a notes app on social media put online online. That that is the statement. So that's what you're saying is what she would acknowledge was not done. Yeah, the appropriate way,
0: as Caitlin says, it was a very millennial thing to do to put that <laughs> out on, on on social media. I think if she had her time over, she would probably not have done that. Tried to work with the tournament and the tours to do a better job at doing that. And I think there was a lot of people that would have been empathetic towards that. But having said that. This is the time for us to sit back and go, is this a problem? Because there's been many players in the past. I can think of Monica Seles and Steffi Graff.
2: It's very difficult if
0: the first tournament is a Grand Slam. I mean, you really want to show off the best that you can. absolutely hated going to the press, were very shy themselves, maybe a little socially awkward as well. So, you know, times have changed. But I think, as I've said, it's time for us to step back and say, how can we do better in general?
1: Caitlin, why? is this decision that Naomi Osaka made publicly speaking about her struggle with these press conferences and and citing mental health? Why is it important? Because arguably, this should be a tennis story, but it is it has gone beyond the tennis world.
2: I think it's a great thing that it's gone beyond the tennis world. I think tennis has once again an opportunity to look at a young woman of color who transcends the sport, And I think for me, the idea that this is a watershed moment in the sport, I don't think she intended to create this watershed moment. I think she is somebody who follows her heart. I think she's extremely authentic in the way she communicates, which is probably why she has such a hard time with press conferences. If you've sat in those and listened to her answer questions, she really thinks about them. And I think she internalizes it. And I think because of that, we get great answers out of her. The press loves her. Whenever
0: I come here, um, especially even the first time that I came here, everyone's been so kind
2: and um, welcoming in a way, and um, it's definitely one of my favorite band slams. So I think there's a a real psychic cost to that that can aggregate when you are taking on what somebody else is framing around you that can end up affecting certainly your play, but also in this case, her mental health. And I think for me, this is important not only because whether she intended to or not, Naomi Osaka is making this sport change. And she's done it before, again, with the Black Lives Matter real boycott that she had at the Western and Southern Open, which brought a sport to a halt and all of a sudden got the entire country of Japan understanding America's fight for racial equity. This is a person who, whether she intends to or not, is leading with her heart. And I think the sport would be very stupid to miss this opportunity to see what where this young woman is taking us and go along for the ride.
1: Renee, the WTA, the Women's Tennis Association, does do some media training for athletes, and it does offer mental health resources. Yes. Do we know if athletes are evaluated before each tournament? Are they sought out or do they have to seek out these resources? What can be done to help alleviate pressures like this?
0: Yeah, I really wanna stress that the WTA in particular, Kathleen Stroy, who is the head of the Women's Tennis Association Health Services Department, and she has dedicated her life to making these tennis players' lives better and healthier. And she has worked implementing, having a psychologist um, available to the players whenever they want to use them. Obviously the health department, the physios and massage, that's all been available to players for free. I mean, they really go out of the way to make sure that the players are taken care of medically. But it is up to the individual player. This is still an independent sport. And these players are their own bosses. If they want to seek out that help, it is there for them to be used. And they can and they do have the resources to use them. But they must reach out and they must use them.
1: Renee, we would be remiss if we didn't talk about the fact that you are a former world number one in doubles. The crowd absolutely delighted. Lisa Raymond and Renee Stubbs. They've won the Australian Open title. Here with Renee Stubbs, a big victory. And Serena Williams also
2: picked up a big win here. The champions, a woman's double, such a good result. How did you feel winning
1: with a fellow? What was that like for you, the stresses of being a player, especially compared to the high of winning and, and becoming a world number one?
0: Yeah. I I always say that playing professional uh, sports for a living is like legal addiction, (laughs) right? Because the highs are so high and the lows are so low. And your um, self-worth is so wrapped up in winning and losing. I know so many players that have gone through depression, have gone through anxiety. I have dealt with it personally with people that I've been around. And I can honestly say probably one of the most difficult and stressful and I wouldn't say depressive years but it was a very hard year for me was my most successful year in 2001 when i my partner and i lisa raymond we won two grand slams we won the wta finals we won pretty much every tournament we entered those two years 2001 2002 they were some of my toughest emotional years because of the stress and i'm sharing the burden with another person in doubles so to do it on your own as a player It is so incredibly difficult because the stress on your shoulders is enormous. And for someone like Naomi, who has been struggling on the court over the last few months, I'm sure that it was starting to really take its toll on her.
1: So a final question for you both. What do you want to see happen next? How would you like this whole situation to improve not only in the world of tennis, but for all athletes?
2: I have a very specific viewpoint on this because I was inspired to start our media company because of how poor a job I felt like the world itself was communicating about tennis, both on the outside and the inside. And I think now that I've understood a little bit more of the power structures and been in the environment for a while and seen how other leagues have done great work, I'm looking at the NBA in particular, where they have a player union that sits down with the owners. They share profits 50-50 and they make decisions collectively that benefit both the health of the sport and the profits that, that and the revenues that need to be made, especially on the owner side, but also advocate for things like mental health or domestic violence policies, things that sort of everybody can agree on. A sport like tennis, there's no sport like this where women can make something approximating what the men can make. And so for me, I have really become a deep believer in the fact that the players need to unionize. And I think if the players were to unionize tomorrow, not only are some of the more granular things that I would like to see in the press, like better credentialing, more an immediately more inclusive environment for who gets to cover the sport and be in those rooms, not using anonymous questions in press conference transcripts so you can't see who asked the question, just basic stuff, that would all be ameliorated and then some if we had a really robust player unit. So that, to me, is how we can build a really strong sport and one for the future. And honestly, I'm grateful. I hope, obviously, Naomi Osaka is doing really well. She's, like I said, a, a tremendous asset for the sport. But more than anything else, she's given us this amazing opportunity, and I really don't want us to waste it.
1: Renee, final thought from you?
2: Yeah,
0: touche on that. I think, yeah, it's about time we, we unionize as a group, not just the men. The problem is that a lot of these players represented by different sports management companies who own a lot of the tournaments on tour. So there's a lot of incredibly toxic environments and also conflicts of interest in tennis. And so that needs to be taken out of the sport. We need to be able to all sit down really. And the only way to really do that, honestly, is for the players themselves, like Billie Jean King did a number of years ago, is lock them all in the room and say, what do you guys want? Not just the women, the men, lock them in the room and say, how can we make this better? for our sport for us and then let's leave this room and demand those changes going forward without your agent without the Grand Slam without the ITF without any of the tournaments what do you want and what are we going to get out of this I think it would be much stronger
1: and that's The Take this episode was produced by Ney Alvarez with Nagin Oliay Dina Kispe Priyanka Tilvey Alexandra Locke Amy Walters and me Malika Bilal Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya El is our engagement producer. Tom Benton is our story editor, and Stacy Samuel is the takes executive producer. We'll be back on Friday.